Hello, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ, and I want to welcome you to this study of God's Word. We appreciate you joining us at the Franklin Church of Christ as we open up our Bibles and learn how God would have us live, serve, and glorify Him. In the lesson that you're about to hear, we take a look in Luke chapter 13 at the parable of the barren fig tree and see what lessons we can learn there about serving God, about His judgment, and also about His grace. So open your Bible and study along with me. What would you expect a farmer to do with a plant that just would never produce any fruit? I believe you'd expect him to cut it down, tear it out of the ground, plant something else, something that would bear fruit, something that would give profit for his farm. I think that's just common sense. That's exactly what he would do. Jesus himself recognized the common sense nature of such a plan and used that very same concept in a parable in Luke chapter 13, a parable on repentance. In Luke chapter 13, beginning at verse 6, Jesus said, Luke chapter 13 and verse 6, and he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, For three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and he said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. This parable, I think, has two sides to it. It has a frightening side of judgment and a comforting side of grace. I'd like for us to take just a few moments this morning and to look at this parable of the barren fig tree. I'll get it out here in a second. This parable of the barren fig tree and learn what lessons Jesus has here about fruitfulness and about relying on Him and about judgment. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer? Our great God and Father in heaven, You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory for Yours is the kingdom, the power and the dominion forever and ever. We are humbled in Your presence and we cast down our crowns before You, recognizing that we are not worthy, but You are worthy. Father, we do not want the glory for ourselves, but we want to glorify and honor You. And we recognize that in order to do that, Your Son said that we must bear fruit to Your glory. Father, we so desire to be disciples of Your Son. And we pray that You would strengthen us and help us. And we know that You have strengthened and we know that You you do help. And we're thankful for that, and we praise and honor You. Forgive us, Father, for having fallen short, for not always bearing fruit as we should. Help us to grow and continue in Your grace and in Your mercy to always be Your servants and to help one another go to heaven. In Your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. The very first thing that we learn from this parable is probably the most obvious thing, and that is is that the Master expects fruit. He expects us to bear fruit that glorifies and honors Him. This parable reminds me of another parable that Jesus told earlier in Luke chapter 8. You may remember the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, where Jesus spoke by way of parable and He said, The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky soil and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things 
He would call, as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he explained the parable in verse 11. Now the parable is this. This is Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy. And these had no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. In Matthew's account of this parable, he said they bear fruit some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, some hundredfold. But what we find from this is God expects when the good seed falls on good ground for fruit to come from it. He recognizes there's obstacles. There's some, though, that will hear the good seed and they won't believe and they'll never bear fruit. There are others that will receive the good seed, but they will never allow it to be grounded in their hearts. And in time of temptation, in time of trial and turmoil, they'll quickly fall away and never bear fruit. He recognizes that there will be others who receive the Word with joy and obey it and live in it. But because of the distractions in the world and all the things around them, their efforts are so dispersed to try to accomplish so many things that they never bear fruit for God. There are some. There are some with good hearts who receive the good seed and as it's implanted in their hearts, as it digs down deep and finds good soil and is not choked out by the distractions of this world, it bears fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, some hundredfold. This is not about competition. This is not about who can bear the most fruit. This is just about who is going to bear the amount of fruit which God allows them to. And what we learn from this is that the Master expects fruit. Most of us may already be aware of the kind of fruit that Jesus expects from us. But just by way of reminder, let's look at a couple of passages. First of all, there's the fruit that we ought to have within our own souls that we can find in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, Paul wrote that the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, with the, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In our own lives, we should be producing this fruit, this fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things should be growing in our lives. And as we bear that fruit in our lives, as we grow in love or in peace or in joy, as we increase our faithfulness to God and loyalty to our brothers, as we increase in gentleness to those around us, as we increase our personal self-control, that is fruit being born some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, some hundredfold. And that's what God expects in our lives. If we are the same today as we were the day that we became Christians, we better watch out. God expects fruit. 
But not only is there the fruit in our own lives, there's the fruit of other lives. In Matthew chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 36, Jesus was traveling through the towns and He looked out upon the multitudes. And in Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 36, it says, seeing the people, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into His harvest. As Jesus looked out at all the folks who were lost, who were not following Him, He saw a harvest. That is, He saw fruit that needed to be gathered in and brought to Him. And we need to be bearing that fruit as well. We need to be reaching out to those who do not have a shepherd or who do not have Jesus as their shepherd and harvest that and gather that fruit into the Master. God expects fruit. Our job is to spread that good seed so that it might land on other good soil and bear fruit for God. But God expects fruit. And we remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 8. In John chapter 15 and verse 8, Jesus said, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples. How do we prove ourselves to be Jesus' disciples? By bearing fruit. If there is no fruit... If we are not producing that love, that joy, that peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, if we're not spreading the seed, what Jesus says is we're not His disciples. The Master expects fruit. But the second thing we learn from this parable is that our Master is patient. Within this parable, the Master had come and looked at this big tree for three years. And then when he was ready to cut it down, he allowed the vineyard keeper to talk him into letting it remain one more year and to dig around it and put fertilizer around it and to help it grow and give it another year. He's patient. I'll tell you, from this lesson of God's patience, I see two sides. Again, a frightening side and a comforting side. The comforting side we can find expressed in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter... Chapter 3. Verse 9 of Second Peter chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God doesn't want people to go to hell. God is not up in heaven waiting for His children whom He sent His Son to die for to slip up and not produce fruit on His schedule and so that He can zap them and cast them into an eternity of torment and damnation. That's not what God's doing. God is patient. He is waiting. He is letting us grow. God recognizes that bearing fruit is a growth process and He doesn't expect us to come out of the watery grave of baptism as a full-grown, mature child of God. He expects us to grow. And He's patient with us as we grow. That's awesome. But there's a frightening side of this. And the frightening side of this I see when I hear even Christians, as they justify things that they have done that are not according to the Word of God, and they'll say, well, look, 
I've been doing this for years and God hasn't zapped me yet. Have you heard people say that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Why? God doesn't seem to care. He hasn't done anything about it yet. Well, that doesn't mean that God approves. That means that God is being patient with you. You ought to be glad He hasn't zapped you yet if you've been sinning. He's been giving you time to repent and to grow and to bear fruit. There are some who become like the mockers of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 where Peter said in 2 Peter 3 and verse 3, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of the creation. But when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the Word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. There are some that take comfort that God hasn't judged them yet, and they view that somehow as either, in this context, well, God's not out there. But others who believe God is out there, they view it as an approval by God. But that's not the case. God is being patient with you. And what He wants you to do is repent. Because He doesn't want to zap you. He doesn't want to cast you into hell. But the time will come when His patience will run out. And that's the next lesson that we learn from this parable of the barren fig tree. A time will come when the Master's patience will run out. He'll come back for three years and keep looking. In the fourth year, He'll allow the vineyard keeper to prod Him on and to wait and to see if we bear fruit. But there's going to come a time if our tree is not fruitful, God will cut it down. If I understand the nature of the farming practices that this parable is based on, what would happen is a vineyard keeper, which it says this is planted in his vineyard, he's growing grapes. But a vineyard keeper would sometimes, in the corners where they couldn't get the vines over there, they would plant fig trees so that that part of their property wouldn't be wasted and they'd still have some type of production. But you know, there's a little bit of a trade-off. When that fig tree is in that ground, it's going to use some of the nutrients from the ground, isn't it? But as long as that tree is producing figs, and that farmer's able to sell them and make a profit, that little bit of trade-off is not so bad. But if that fig tree is sucking the nutrients out of the ground away from the grapes and it's not producing anything, well, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? And what he said in the parable was, why is it even taking up the ground? Some translations say, why is it encumbering the ground? It's using this ground that we need to help grow what's being fruitful. He says, I'm not going to tolerate that. If it's not going to bear fruit, cut it down. A time is going to come when God's patience will run out. This is the very same point that Peter made again in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Let's go ahead and read verse 9 again. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What Peter says is judgment is coming. And I recognize that Peter is dealing with the judgment universal on the world. But the point applies to us as individuals as well. well. Judgment is coming. And we don't know when it is. I don't believe that God has a four-year plan. Well, you've got four years as a Christian. If you don't start bearing fruit, that's it. It's over. I think that's just part of the parable here. Where are we in this process? Are we in year one where God's patience is just beginning? Year two, year three? Or are we in that year four where God's saying, this is it, this is your last chance, next time I come by, there better be fruit or it's over? We don't know. And that's why Peter says, since we don't know, how should we be living right now? With godliness and holy conduct. We ought to be bearing fruit right now. Don't put it off. Don't wait for when you're older. Don't wait for when you've got other things taken care of and your retirement account is funded or, or when you've got your kids through college or when you finish college. Don't wait for those things. Start bearing fruit right now. Don't wait for others to start bearing fruit. They may not ever get to it. Start bearing fruit right now because there's going to come a time when God's patience runs out. Brethren, we don't know where we are. We don't know where we are on that. But what does God want us to do? He wants us to repent. In fact, that's why this parable was even taught. If you go back to Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says in Luke 13 and verse 1, Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this faith? Why, yes, and of course we feel that way. We're all better than them because we didn't die like that. Jesus said, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Why, yes, of course that's what we feel. If we had been as bad as them, then we would have died. Jesus says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he told the story of the fig tree. The Master's patience. Perhaps he hasn't caused your untimely demise yet. The judgment will come on those who don't bear fruit. A time will come when His patience will wear thin. And judgment will come because the unfruitful are simply taking up the ground. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 12.30, if you're not gathering to me, you're scattering. So if you're not bearing fruit, you're just leaching the soil out of the ground away from those that are. And judgment will come. But there's a fourth lesson in this parable. One that I'm afraid we might at times overlook. And that's the lesson of God's grace, of God's aid, and of God's help. One of the things that stands out to me in this parable is that when the vineyard keeper, when the vineyard keeper convinces the master to wait another year, what's he say? He says, look, let's hold on. Let's, let's give this tree another year. I'm going to dig around it. I'm going to put fertilizer down there. And maybe that will help it grow. I'm going to do things that will help it grow and bear fruit. 
the lesson that we learn from this is that God has not just placed us down here and said, bear fruit. I'm waiting. I'll be back this time next year. He's digging around us. He's fertilizing. He's helping. But we have to make use of that help. We learned last week, again from Second Peter, chapter 1, And verse 2, Peter said in 2 Peter 1 and verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. He said He's given us everything pertaining to life and knowledge. He's granted us precious and divine promises, so that we can escape the corruption of this world and partake in the divine nature of God. He's given us that. Where? Through knowledge. We learned about that last week, didn't we? And where did that knowledge come from? You remember? What was the point of last Sunday morning sermon? Anybody remember? Oh, man. I thought I drove that home. Well, get into the Word. Very good. Because that's where knowledge comes from. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Here is God's Word to us. This is God's gift to us, and He's given it to us so that we might know Him, that we might know His Son, that we might know His Spirit, that we might know His will and His plan for our lives. And when we get into this Word, and when we study it, and when we know it, we're leaning on God. And He's helping us grow and bear fruit. But you know, He's also given us one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't know how many times I had read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just completely skipped over verse 18. The 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 is so powerful. We remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is talking about the body, Christ's body. And how everybody plays a different role. And we can't be arrogant about it. We shouldn't be jealous about it. But we're all going to do different things. We're all going to bear different fruits. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. But notice verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. Why are we in the body? Because God has placed us where He wanted us. I don't know what story has brought you into this congregation or what story has brought you into whatever congregation you're part of if you're visiting with us this morning. But what this passage says is you're there because God wants you there and He's got a job for you there. There's something that when you bear fruit, you can accomplish for Him wherever you are in His body. And I know one of the reasons He's placed us all here. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Would it sound bad if I said, Brethren, we're fertilizer? That's what we are. Around all the trees that are represented here, 
God has dug this trench and placed us there to stimulate growth, to bear fruit. That's our job. And as you look around at all the brethren around you, God has placed them there to help you. Many of them are trying to help you. But are we accepting the help that God has offered? Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13? In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul said, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. God has not left us alone. God expects fruit. And He's patient with us. But His patience will run out at some time. But He's not just sitting back, waiting for us to finally get it and bear fruit. He's digging around us. And He's fertilizing. And He's stimulating. We just have to lean on it. Get into His Word. Connect with His people. Pray. God is helping us. And when we do those things, we will bear fruit. So as you walk away from this lesson today, and you consider the parable of the barren fig tree, I want you to remember that God expects fruit, and I want you to remember that His judgment is coming, but that's not really what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on the grace and mercy that God has bestowed on each of us and the help and aid that He's giving us. And then I want you to lean on it and make use of it so that God can make use of you. Let's bear fruit that glorifies our Master and so prove to be His disciples. Can we do that? Amen. I certainly hope this lesson has been beneficial to you and your walk with the Lord. From this parable, we see two sides, a frightening side and a comforting side. And I hope I was able to blend and balance that together for you to encourage you to serve the Lord and bear fruit for Him. Let's remember what we learned from the parable of the barren fig tree. Number one, the master expects fruit. Number two, the master is extremely patient with us. Number three, There will be a time when the Master's patience runs out. And number four, the Master is helping us bear fruit. What a great God we serve. If you've been given this lesson by a member of the Franklin Church of Christ, let me invite you to head to our website at www.franklinchurchofchrist.com and download as many studies as you would like. We have numerous lessons on numerous topics. You can download the audio version like this or even get the outline and manuscript version online as well. Feel free to download those and use them in whatever way will most benefit God and His kingdom. If you have any questions about serving God, about bearing fruit, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.